2: Hey, podcast nerds. I'm Jesse Kahnweiler, and you're about to hear an episode from my brand new show, Schmucks. It's all about the people we love to hate. I tracked down a few of these assholes and had some really personal conversations with them, sometimes a little more personal than I planned. Like in this episode you're about to hear, I stalk and then interview farmer bro Martin Skrelly. I don't want to ruin it, but trust me, this episode was awkward for both of us. If you like what you hear, you can listen to the rest of the show at stitcherpremium slash schmucks. You can use the code word Schmucks to get a whole month of Stitcher Premium for free. All right, here we go. Hello, friends, fellows, and future ex husbands. I'm Jesse Kahnweiler, and this is Schmucks, the podcast where I track down the most hated people on the internet and force them to have heart to hearts with me, IRL. So, with just one episode left, is it possible to find the most hated person on the internet? Turns out he isn't that hard to find. In fact, He's everywhere.
1: The former CEO of Turing
0: Pharmaceuticals, best known for increasing the price of a drug that treats HIV-related infection by 5,000%. Martin Shkreli? Martin Shkreli! Goes by the name of Martin Shkreli. Did Not- I say that right?
2: Yes. Martin Shkreli. I mean, Shrekli. I mean, Shkreli. Wait, no. Shrekley. Okay, disclaimer here. I can't pronounce this guy's last name, and I don't do it right the entire episode. Anyways, in case you missed it, this is the 30-something millionaire who bought a little-known drug called Daraprim, which can be life-saving for pregnant women, people with AIDS and cancer patients. And then he immediately jacked up the price from 13.50 to 750 bucks per pill. The media ran with this story, clickbaity places and big newspapers too. And soon Everyone hated this guy.
1: The poster child for capitalistic greed. Who's been blasted by everyone from the BBC, which dubbed him the most hated man in America, to Donald Trump, who called him a spoiled brat. Wu-Tang member Ghostface
0: Killa called Shkreli a head for raising the price (laughs) of the drug. But Martin's reaction?
1: I probably would have raised the price higher. Is is probably what I would have done. Um...
2: He doubles down. And he actually seems to get a kick out of all the hate. He gives a ton of interviews with this smug smirk on and shows no remorse. Five months later, there's a congressional hearing focused on drug pricing, and Martin is front and center. With that same smug ass smirk on, the whole country watches, eagerly awaiting for justice to take its course. There's nowhere to hide, Martin. Time to bend over and take it. This is audio from Martin's testimony.
0: I know you're
1: smiling, but I'm very serious, sir. Are you listening?
2: He pleads the 5th the whole time, refusing to answer a single question.
1: On the advice of counsel, I invoke my 5th amendment. My 5th amendment, 5th amendment, 5th amendment, 5th amendment, 5th amendment, privilege against self-incrimination respectfully declined to answer your question.
2: What a fuckboy. Congress was totes pissed, but there was nothing they could do. Turns out being a disrespectful douchebag isn't against the law. Oh, and also, Martin got fired in the middle of all this and is being sued for some shady financial dealings, something called securities fraud. Doesn't sound too kosher, huh? And this whole time, Martin is becoming a notorious Twitter troll. On TV or in court, he's smug and remorseless, but a little awkward. But online, he's obnoxious and so over the top. He brags about his money and his followers and threatens to smack people's teeth out of their heads. And he's gotten into absurd Twitter beefs with everyone from Bernie Sanders to Captain America. But here's the thing, Martin fucking loves the attention. As soon as people start losing interest in the Daraprim scandal, he stirs more shit up. He buys a -a one-of-a-kind Wu-Ting album for $2 million, refuses to let anyone hear it, and then gets in an internet battle with Ghostface Killa. Once those headlines die down, he starts aggressively heckling Hillary Clinton about her health in the thick of her campaign. Like a baby whose appetite for attention increases by the day, Martin clings hard to the tit of the zeitgeist and keeps sucking harder. When we first started the show, Martin was our dream guest. Someone everyone hates. So when he actually said yes to the interview...
1: Oh my god, what the fuck?
2: <laughs> that's my producer, Alyssa. Jesse. Martin Shrekley just responded, sure. I freaked the fuck out.
0: Oh my god, I can't feel my body.
2: And then I got kind of intimidated. Because this is a crazy complicated issue. And evil or not, Martin Shkreli is a really smart dude. Anytime he's in the hot seat he becomes a master of deflection. I
1: actually do think you guys support it because you're not excluding our drug, are you?
2: No. If doctors want to use your drug, so it sounds like,
1: it. So it sounds like you're all good.
2: Uh, we are all good with our dollar so- solution. That's true. You're, you're, talking,
1: you're all good. So, so if, I write a, if someone writes a prescription right now for Daraprim, you're it, still accepting it? That's correct. Awesome, man. Thanks for your business. The, uh, like I imagine Drake
2: to be on our honeymoon. Martin can just keep going and going.
1: We're sitting on one drug for toxoplasmosis that's 70 years old. You don't have to have a PhD in uh, infectious diseases to know that's a dangerous...
2: So I start researching like crazy. I've got to know my shit. I want to be like Olivia Pope in Scandal. When it comes to Shkreli, it's handled. So I talk with a pharmaceutical consultant, people that work in healthcare, read tons, and I start following Martin's social media obsessively. I end up staying home on a Friday night to watch hours and hours of Martin live-streaming himself, which is a thing he does constantly.
1: How many treats? You want some? You want some treats? I don't think you deserve these treats.
2: And I feel like I'm actually getting to know him, learning intimate things about him. How he drinks his vodka, pops his collar, fixes his hair in the morning. Through my low-key cyber-stalking, Martin starts to seem less like a 2D villain, Dude was kind of funny. And there were parts of his story I have to admire. I mean, he's a self-made millionaire whose parents were immigrants and janitors. He's obviously a crazy hard worker. But how could someone so smart do such a shitty thing? Is he really just another greedy white dude? Can that be the whole story? The more research I do, the more confusing it gets. I feel torn. I want to burn him at the stake and give him a hug. I was falling down a Martin rabbit hole and i wasn't really sure i wanted to get out it's all very healthy and then it happens okay i'm sitting in my car um, i'm outside of this dude's house i just woke up and i'm like embarrassed cuz i feel like i like cheated on this guy i'm dating and i feel freaked the fuck out by my own dream but um, i had a sex dream i had this like effervescent like confidence and so I was like, hey, Martin, what's up? And I was like kind of like this Russian spy. Like I know, I know. Like I I know. I'm under- disgusted with myself, too. No laugh, one could be more weirded out by end this end than me. Dreams. Trust me. And then we just started like making love, like sweet, passionate Feeling- love. And I was like so turned on. I was like so... Feeling totally grossed out, I met up with my best friend, Lily. The dream. It was like secret. Did it look like him? It was like fully him. That is
1: fascinating. <laughs> Sometimes when I feel disgust, like the place where I feel it is my vagina, and like it's not the same
2: thing as being turned on, but it's the same location. So I just—it makes sense to me that wires I'm gonna... can get
1: crossed. <laughs> okay,
2: so maybe I'm not a horrible example. person, and my those vagina is like, just uh, like, confused. But I mean, this... he's so obviously a sociopath. Like s- yes, and there's... you don't know him though. <laughs> not like you do. <laughs> Jesse Skrlacki. A week later, I'm in New York City, moments away from the biggest interview of my life. And I had some crazy nerves. Not even my morning meditation masturbation routine could calm. No, I just feel this in my whole body. I want to go home. I'm not excited, and I don't want to do this. And I'm mad at you. <laughs> I don't know why, but I fucking am so mad at you right now. I can feel it. You can suck a dick. Can you tell I'm being kind of bitchy? I'm like, where are the directions? Like, I don't even, I can't even look at you right now. Why was I getting so worked up? Martin is a famous millionaire. He's probably gonna be an hour late to this interview, if he shows up at all. But this motherfucker was five minutes early. Something so fascinating to me about you that, like, in my research, don't get creeped out. Like, I've gone down this girly, like, rabbit hole. Yeah, sure. Like, I went to the Mercury Lounge with you last <gasps> week on Periscope. No way. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, your online presence, like, the way that you view social media is it feels like you love interacting with it, even, like, with your haters. Like, you will have full-on conversations. And, like, first of all, I feel like I'm, like, addicted to social media, and I, I'm yeah. yeah. And it's like, I'm like, is this a problem or awesome? But I'm also wondering, like, what you get out of it, specifically in, like, engaging with your haters, because every time I get like, I want to rape you to death, bitch, like I cry.
1: Oh, yeah. That's horrible. I mean, um, I uh, just left my old company. It was, it was dumped um, in a way. And I started the business. It was really kind of um, tragic. And I, I read a, a newspaper report that says I'm being investigated by the FBI. And uh, so I call the FBI, <laughs> I literally call call the FBI, and I say, "Hey, you know what? what do you want to talk about? Because you know, well, the sooner we get this over with, the better, you know, I've been were through... you like
2: free? I would have like been so scared.
1: I you know it wasn't fun, but it wasn't like, like you know, I believe then and believe now. It's like, what do you want to talk about? I'll talk about anything. Like it doesn't, yeah, I'm not worried. you know, um, so I get a call back. Um, from special agent so-and-so, and they say, why don't you come down next week? And I go down there, you know, in jeans or whatever, and there's five of them, like, sitting there. And halfway through the conversation, they say, what do you get out of social media? <laughs> and I'm just sitting there, like, uh, the FBI, yeah, like, The FBI
2: is like, how do we um, increase our online presence? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it was it was a strange question, and I think they were, like, genuinely perplexed that, hey, you're, like, the smart guy that does all this stuff. They're worried, you know, maybe you broke a law. But in the midst of all this, we see that a lot of the just drama is about Twitter. My board fired me over Twitter. I use Twitter too much. Right. As a 29 year old CEO, a 60 year old board says that I, I use Twitter too much. And I probably did. Um, <laughs> you know, it, yeah. there's things that as a CEO, you probably shouldn't do on Twitter. And that's fine. But my addiction to social media was So strong. Like like people know they shouldn't do heroin, right? But yeah,
2: it's like I was they just do it anyway. like, puking. Like when I would puke, I would be like, I would do anything. Like I just need to puke. Mm. And then I can like be the person I'm supposed to be. Mm. But to me it was like like do you see it as a problem?
1: Um, you know, like as I look back and reflect, um, I just got sued. Um I get sued like every week, but I <laughs> I just got sued for being um not sexual harassing exactly. She's accusing another coworker of sexual harassment and even assault. And oh, now shit. yeah yeah, and I don't I don't think it's true by the way. But I um Well,
2: I've read those headlines and it's very much like sexual harassment. I mean, people write you in as the villain. But like I want to believe women, that's a thing. Death, as a too. woman, yeah, it's like I've yeah. been raped why would you like for me, like 99.9% of the time, you're not getting anything out of it. So yeah. when when someone says that, like we all do want to take it seriously.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
2: What what gives you pause in that situation? Well,
1: so I guess, you know, to quote unquote, the good thing. Um, and It's not that good because it's a bad situation for everybody. But the good thing is that it, it doesn't sound like it was a rape. Um, She's accusing him of kind of kind of being too handsy is kind of my interpretation of the lawsuit. But the funniest part about it, um, none of this is funny other than this lawsuit, which I post a small snippet on Twitter, but it's it gets better because it said Mr. Scrowley um affirmed his um preference for big booty bitches on Twitter. And is this isn't a lawsuit by a law firm. Like and then um it said that then it said uh uh, it's it said something about Harambe in the lawsuit. Oh my god! Which is like this is the this must be the first lawsuit in the history of America. Like, and it said you know lawsuit you have to explain things is Harambe was a gorilla who <laughs> in the Cincinnati Zoo, and um you know there was I I like to tease people on Twitter because I think that um at least where I grew up and kind of my personal philosophy your family always ingrains things in you and they kind of stick and mine is sort of treat people how you want to be treated. So if someone comes after me and is like pretty nasty. I just sort I I sort of see it as full license to to lose all decorum and just roll in the mud with you. Right. And I think that in today's society, that type of behavior is not seen as a positive thing. Like people want you, know, you to act with a certain amount of dignity permanently and if there's someone who really wants to roll in the mud with you, you're supposed to just take the high road and walk on. Right. You know, if you've been around the internet since its inception, you sort of know that the Internet's a separate place. And yeah. it's, you know, I think older people feel like, oh, this is another form of communication, like like a phone. Well, I think for people in their 20s and 30s, it's a little different. We become different people on the Internet. And we are willing to use words maybe we wouldn't use in everyday life. Um, we are willing to, to act in a way that we normally wouldn't. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I have a bet with Lauren. Uh, that we can get. He's adorable girlfriend. Thanks. We can get through 10 random encounters with strangers in a row that are positive or up to seven. One guy tried to fight me and Internet Martin would have literally let, said, taken a shirt off and said, let's do this, bro. Because um, that's like online. Like there's no, it's no hold. whole
2: to Do whatever you want. Yeah. But like. You're also a character online.
1: Exactly. But that's the thing. I mean, that's what people don't get. That's yeah. what boards don't get or yeah. this lawsuit doesn't get that like you're not the same person. And I I don't see why that's such a bad thing. A little bit of escapism, a little bit of character acting. And, you know, if that's an outlet, again, for me, if it's an addiction, that's a strong word. But um, I definitely think there's things you can do that are stupid to do. Um,
2: What happens to you physically when you're sending a tweet?
1: Yeah, it's it's it it is a little like addiction. You, You know, you get a feeling depending on the tweet, right? There's a lot of rote kind of boring tweets, but there are tweets that are exhilarating. You know, Ocho Cinco, the great football player tweeted at me the other day and it's, it's a high, you know, it's, it's that dopamine rush. And, um, depending on who it is or what you're saying, you can get that, um, tunnel vision or distortion briefly of, um, like you're just drank a a bottle of vodka or something. And, uh, you know, you don't know exactly what you're you're typing out. Like Keith Olbermann was like saying something nasty at me and I don't remember what I said back, but it was it was certainly not composed and like, you know, carefully. Um, it was sort of like a stupor. And um, it's it's a strange thing being a quote unquote normal person that's minding your own business. And all of a sudden you've got people that 100 million people have an opinion on you and they have you know, they want to. um tell you what their opinion is. and
2: I mean, not just people, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, yeah. Steve Colbert, like, this happens on the daily, and you're, quote-unquote, you know, a normal $100 million person. Yeah. Um, you know, was this part of the plan, I mean, to be this kind of celebrity? And which I just, I'm so curious about the process of that. Like, did you realize, like, oh, shit, I'm, for better or worse, like, I'm fucking famous.
1: Yeah, it's, um... I, I wanna be known for my business activities and the problem with that is that's kinda backfired too. <laughs> um so, you know, I, I've I've sort of tried to be this Robin Hood of taking drugs that nobody cares about, raising their prices, and then doing this a lot of good deeds with the money. Uh nobody talks about the good deeds and that's you know, I don't you know, at the end of the day it they'll speak for themselves with time. Um
2: well, so I am i mean, because I do want to believe that you're Robin Hood, because I look at this story and I step back and I'm like, well, maybe this guy, you know, Steve Jobs was an asshole. Nobody cares about that because of like what he's done or like three year old slave children are making the iPhones. But look at what he did. And when I read everything about you, I'm like, I get the narrative because I'm a storyteller. So I understand like guy raises the price of drugs, like basically a- like babies are getting AIDS and dying in the streets because of Martin Screlly. That's what I made to believe if I read the media, sure, sure. you know, and that's when I ask people on the street, well, what is he going to, you know, does he believe in God and how does he sleep at night? <laughs> so first of all, what is it like to ha- come across that much so much? Hey, I mean, you're a sensitive person, like you're an intelligent person. Like, how do you handle that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I the hate doesn't bother me because I think it's comes from an ignorant place. I mean, if there actually was anyone who died because of something I did.
2: I tried to find somebody who died I, because of you. I
1: think that'd be, I mean, suicide inducing, right? I mean, who who could live with themselves um, right. knowing that? I mean, I'm in healthcare to help people, not mm-hmm. to hurt people. If someone really has a poignant argument that I hadn't considered, and really strikes at a core, of course, I'm a sensitive person, and I, it will affect me. But in general, it's the kind of thing where people say, "Oh, you know, your drug is killing people in Africa," and I'm like, "I've never sold a pill in Africa. My drug is like." contractually limited to this country and i i wish i could you know sell drugs in africa but i'm actually prohibited to do so so i don't know who's dying in africa but it's not my fault right and so if you if you come at me with something like that i sort of say huh you know i i don't know how to consider your argument it's as valuable to me as you telling me i'm ugly like it doesn't mean anything um
2: i mean do you feel like you're playing god
1: um no because um i think that like i think i have a knack for solving problems, medical or otherwise, scientific problems. And, you know, nobody, nobody sees that yet. And that's what it's a little annoying is bubbling under the surface is I really want to show people that, you know, if, if I were to shed all kind of modesty, you know, I think I'm going to be this medical genius. But, you know, none of that's come across. And that's fine. I think well, it's come across for Wall Street. And like there's people that know that. Um, and New York Times wrote a very flattering thing that, that had some lines of that. But- you know, that's sort of what I want to deliver. And the first drug I I sort of... You're a
2: very polarizing person. There is like, you are the smartest guy in the room. There is no one like you. I mean, there's people are like, there's, there's a lot of like, you have a lot of fans.
1: Yeah. But at the same time, like, I, I I don't want to be a medical genius because like, that's going to stroke my ego and I'm going to feel good about myself. Like, I want to do it because I I meet these kids, uh, Ty Tanner and Lane, are my my three the three brothers in North Dakota that have pecan, they're gonna die without me. I mean it's it's a responsibility in many ways, mm-hmm. but it's also like, it's not a joke, you know. <laughs> it's not an ego thing. Like there are three kids that are are dying right now, and I know their mom, I know their their friends, and uh, you know I something has got to happen. Um, the problem is there's seven thousand these diseases. You can't expect yourself to one person to, to go fix them all, but this is an industry and, and we're working together to get there. Um, investors don't love this industry. Um, pharmaceutical companies definitely don't love this industry, but they're still people and they, they these some of these problems are actually pretty simple. Um, and that's what's unfortunate is the wrong message is getting across. Here's this drug that Daraprim that nobody takes and nobody cares about, like it's so fucking stupid, like it's meaningless drug. A few thousand people take it, most of them get it for free. We make a little bit of money on on the people that that do pay us through their insurance. But like the concept that this drug is possessing, everybody is like.
2: But I mean, in terms of making the sausage, it's like, is it just kind of like, okay? we'll let people. So Dereprim a drug that nobody takes. So we're going to take the prices up. The insurance companies will pay for it. The people won't pay for it. Those who need it will still get it. And we'll take all that money and we'll do all this research and development on new drugs.
1: That's the dream. Yeah. I mean, my salary at. So how did
2: that get so fucked up?
1: I think uh, it was me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's my fault Um, because I was so sort of sure of myself that I was right, that I was just sort of willing, not willing to engage and not willing to sort of explain it. It was like definitely a situation where someone just pushes you on stage and says, it's time to act like go and you just do it the best you can. And I guess I just sort of like wanted to like almost point out the absurdity of it, but it didn't work you know, I think people wanted it to be that, oh, this is a bad guy. And I'm just sort of playing along. It's like, you guys know, this is absurd, right? But people took it really seriously. And, and I'm, I'm not surprised because the way I acted wasn't really conducive to, you know, explaining it. And unfortunately, I think the way the media works is once a story starts, it's like, it's hard to sort of pull it back and stop and say, wait, hold on. Maybe he's not so bad. Right. That's not a story that works. You know, it has no, to. No, you're the devil. Yeah, it has to perpetuate. And that's fine. You know, I think um, as long as I can sleep at night, as long as I feel like I'm doing the right thing. And if you're told half a story like, um, you know, we all hate this kid, uh, the swimmer rapist guy who yeah. just got released. Today. Like, We all hate him to death. Right. But like, has anyone read the documents of the lawsuit and stuff like I haven't? I'm sure he's a terrible, horrible person, but at the same time, like, have I given him even an ounce of credit about his about anything? No, I haven't. Why should I? I mean, I don't care. Like, I,
2: I think for me, like, when I first read your articles, I was like, "Oh, what a dick!" But it, looking back on it now, I'm like, it's so much easier to be like, "What a dick," then I feel better about myself for that. You know what I mean? It just happens all subconsciously, where mm-hmm. you're like, "I'll otherize this person. He's a monster." I can say this at the bar. Fuck that guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and then I can feel so great.
1: Like, yeah, I mean, we feel great about the swimmer rapist, or we don't, maybe. But like, I'm sure he has no redeemable qualities, and it is what it is. Yeah. He but... does have nice eyes, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you say so. No, but like Ryan Lochte might be a more neutral, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, guy. But like, um, the thing that I kind of probably what results in all of this is I view it as so detachable and externalizable that people are upset that. I view it that way. To me, it's just another like. The next day after this all hit, it was just another day. Like I got my God. breakfast the same way. And some people are like, "Oh, you're autistic. <laughs> <laughs> I know what's wrong They're with like, you. Why you killed yourself yet? <laughs> yeah, you have Asperger's. So, so that I, I I'm I, I'd love to talk about your childhood
2: a lot because that seems to be like a core value thing. So can you tell me a little bit about? Because you're from Brooklyn, am,
1: you know, is it
2: true both your parents are janitors?
1: They uh, were, yeah. So um, childhood, I I've, I've never actually told any one a lot about this, but my childhood is pretty painful. Um, uh, We never actually were wanted for money, which is kind of nice. So we were never like poor and weren't able to make the rent or put food on the table. It's actually like very normal family in that regard. Um, But my parents are from Eastern Europe. So they kind of weren't great at English or any other sophisticated subject uh, like math or whatever. They didn't know anything of that, Uh, never really were educated. and. My parents are from Eastern Europe, so they're from Albania and, and the former Yugoslavia. The problem is that they brought their um, uh, they kind of brought their customs with them. Mm. So I was abused as a kid um, in you know in sort of the classic kind of Eastern European beatings type of way. And you know I, I sort of look back; it was very painful at the time, um, emo- emotionally painful. Um, but at the same time, um, I sort of look back at it and I sort of forgive uh, my parents, and we have a good relationship now. We didn't for a while. You're not going to see us hugging on Christmas, but like we're there for each other if, if if we need to be. And it really is this bizarre kind of relationship that we all, all our entire family has. This is like loose association of love, <laughs> and um, it's uh, it works really well. Uh, you know, I so you know there's that. Like, and... did
2: your mom hug you growing up?
1: You know, probably an equal amount of uh, whippings as as hugs, uh, and um, it, it's not that I don't feel like I'm a very compassionate and em- empathetic person, and I have a great feeling of love for so many people, especially my brother, who I'm, I'm the closest in the world to. But um, you know, there's no diagnosis of like I wasn't loved enough as a kid. I don't think that that um, has ever played a part in my my life. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, you, you're a product of your environment. And I, I wasn't I was in a sort of a tough love sort of tough love household. Put
2: right. it that way. Like get your shit. Yeah.
1: yeah don't yeah. complain. Yeah.
2: I mean, because like a driving force in my life, at least, is like I, I want to do all these projects. And sometimes I'm like, why do I do this? It's like, oh, mm-hmm. because I want love. And like I'm like, I'm not that basic. Right. But, you know, that seems to be like if I can do these projects and dazzle people and make people laugh, you know, I'll be enough.
1: I have uh, – so my complex is um, – <laughs> i, I uh, I've thought about it a little bit. I've never – I've actually never in my life seen a psychotherapist, a uh, psychologist. Not once. I which... highly recommend it. <laughs> I, I, have to, I have two. I should, I should get to it. Uh, but the um... – You
2: should do it, Martin, because it is like a – it's like this, but it's like an actual professional and you it, – it's very insightful. Yeah. At least for me. It's like I'm like, oh, now I'm going to be able to
1: like have children. No, totally. Yeah. I, and and – You know, I've been—it's one of these things I've just never done it, but I I should. Um, Like, I'm so curious about your dating life just in—you're
2: so fucking rich.
1: No, no. I
2: I mean, is it hard to date being in your position? How does your money affect your, you know, your dating and your sex life?
1: It's changed a lot, yeah. So um, I was rich before, um, and it was much different because— Like with
2: retrofin? Yeah,
1: I was really rich and I was younger. Uh, I was like 29 um, and, you know, it was way different because nobody knew who I was. And it wasn't easy. You know, it was was, just because you're rich. I don't think like women, you know, flock to you. Um, It was like Los Angeles. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Once once they get to know that you're rich, I think things change. But like if you're just a, a dweeb at the bar who happens to be really rich, you're not gonna get like a hundred girls coming to, to to flock to you, and um, I think now it's it's really different. But it's not different in a good way because um, listen, I'll just sort of be be blunt about it. Ever since this the story came out and it all happened, like there's just every day women who are just like, let me come over, or you know, some who are just that shameless, and some who are like, let's have dinner. Um, but it's insane, you know, it's really an, an unbelievable thing. And there's
2: sounds like it's like it would be every guy's dream, though. N-
1: yeah, I think every other guy Uh, for me, it's sort of like um, you just sort of have to ask yourself, like I'll give you a good example. Like there's always someone who's like in town for the weekend or something. And for every guy, that's a dream. It's like, oh, I get to fuck a different girl every right, weekend right. or every week. And to me, it's like actually one even if someone says like I want to come over and give you a blowjob right now, like unless you're like the dirtiest person on the planet, I don't think you're going to take them up on that. At right. least maybe you crack open a wine. It's going to take you know you're going to be taking four or five hours hours out of your day. If you're a busy business person, I'm not trying to say anyone's really that busy. Yeah, everyone has five hours for a BJ, but the, uh, the, uh, Bill Gates, a clear schedule, um, but the, uh, president, you know, nobody's that busy and I'm not that busy, but you are asking yourself, okay, I can spend five hours chatting with this person. I'm never going to meet again. And, you know, is that really what I want to do for five hours? And then that's just the time part of it. Then next you're talking about like an emotional commitment, like, do I want to meet this person? And I'm sure it's going to be fun for me. I'm sure it's going to be fun for her. But at the same time, I'm like carving out space in my brain for another person right, that right. I need to... First three times at school. The next 50 times, it's sort of like, I don't know that, you know, I need a relationship with some girl that lives in Texas and some girl that lives in Seattle. And And it's
2: like, do you really need another fucking friend? Yeah. Like I'm 31 now. I'm like, I don't need any more fucking friends. No, exactly. Yeah. I'm good. No new friends. Right. (laughs) Like, have you ever had your heart broken?
1: Sure. Yeah. No, I dated this girl and I wanted to date this girl in high school more than anyone, uh, anything I ever wanted in my life. And we actually ended up dating. Mm. And uh, after college. And she more or less broke my heart, um, I think like three or four times in a row. And uh, she kept coming back for more. And you become jaded. And, you know, especially as you get older, the more and more I think about it as the youthful naiveness of like soulmates and this is the person you're in love with and you're getting your heart broken. Like, all that stuff is to me fiction. I, you know, there there should always be some love, but this idea that it's going to be, you know, bed of roses, puppies and unicorns the whole time. That is you're setting yourself up for, you know, disaster. Like I, I've almost given up on it.
2: OK, so have you ever felt like really like talking about feelings, though? Yeah. Like, have you ever felt really humiliated?
1: Sure. Uh, let's see.
2: So I'll give an example so yeah. you can think of one. So I was directing a film. This is when I was like deep in my eating disorder. I was like wearing a really cute onesie. And I ate I ate too many laxatives. And I shit myself. And like on the way to the bathroom. And I made a joke out of it and like I have stomach problems or whatever. You can laugh. I know you wanna laugh. It's
1: embarrassing. <laughs> but, it's not funny. It's but horrible. it's really
2: it's really awful and really sad. And how much I... Was, it was just so... It was it was so humiliating. It's disgusting as well. Yeah. <laughs> normally like, I look cute. But, it, yeah, it was disgusting. With so, the poop. Yeah.
1: <laughs> really cute.
2: <laughs> Dookie booty. Um, So, yeah, have you ever felt... And it was just one of those things. Maybe it was because it was poop, but I was just like, I am so fucking, like, powerless right now. Like, you know, I'm so humiliated. And I couldn't take a step back and be like... Like, I just felt so humiliated. Have you ever had a moment like that?
1: Sure. Um... A few. Um, definitely. I hate talking about them. Okay. I mean, everyone else. You don't have uh, to. I mean, I just they're talked like about my poop, the, They're but... like the dumb little things, right? They're like the... Um, I mean, they're certainly mistakes. You know? I've made mistakes. A lot of mistakes. We make them every day, and we regret them. But, um... You,
2: just... you have, like, a hardcore regret?
1: Uh... I don't regret, like, the price increases or anything. Um, But you regret the way you hand a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, they're also subtle, right? But, yeah, I regret, like, portions of things and there's specific actions that I regret. But I wouldn't cast a blanket regret over something like that. But, yeah, I view them as, like, smaller things like I regret. And I'm not sort of struggling here because I think I'm, like, I'm proud of everything I I do. I certainly am not. But – there's things I regret, like um, you know. There's if you start at the most like basic level, like business decisions. There's like oh god. So here's here's a reasonably good one. I have this like terrible hygiene, and um, and um, it's it's so bad. Yeah, I can't uh, smell
2: you. <laughs> For, I think that's me.
1: That's a yeah. <laughs> that uh, that's uh, on purpose. But in, in in general, you would be able to. It's really disgusting. I almost never brush my teeth, and let's just say I've I've stretched that too far. <laughs> and uh, you do need to brush your teeth. I turns turns out I learned the hard, but way.
2: I never brush them at night because I'm like I'm gonna brush them in the morning,
1: right? And it turns out that's when the bacteria thrive the most. But um, you know, so like that's embarrassing. I've had moments with with my parents that were really. I'll give you an example. Like when my parents came to the U.S., they were truly anti-Semitic, truly homophobic, truly racist, like, unbelievably. but so. the
2: kind that's like okay because you're not because of how you were raised. they didn't like no, they weren't kkk members <laughs> or or anything like that. no, um,
1: no, no, no burning crosses. but um, like, you could actually see like, disgust on my mother's face when it came to, like, other uh, races and things like that and again fresh off the boat so a little bit like to be expected but like we i remember um this is the most embarrassing story in the world um i'm walking like have my hand i I was four years old or something I'm like holding hands with my mom and there's a little baby carriage and it's this uh african-american baby and and her mother uh, or it's uh, his mother i don't remember um and my mom says to me in albanian it, she, he's really cute, even though he's black, and I'm just sort of sitting there like, "Ooh, God, Mom," you know. I'm like four years old, and I'm like, what? "Like you could just feel that that was wrong." Yeah, yeah, it was really like, "Ooh," and Ooh, what'd she say about Jews? Um, we lived in a Jewish neighborhood, and um, Williamsburg. Uh, no, Midwood, it's called, okay. and it's uh, Orthodox, and. Um,
2: well, they're terrible. Yes, uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> she love you. The uh,
1: the uh, it was so weird because um, we'd go to the library and she'd be like, "See the Jewish kids? They have more books than you. They're studying harder than you." And I'm like, "Mom, what the fuck?" Uh, but then um, we'd be in the supermarket and she was like so aggressive she'd like push the carts of like uh, other like grown women like she'd be like get out of my way and like someone would be like excuse me she'd be like Psh. like she's like mom what's wrong with you like just be polite like it's okay to just you know say excuse me and stuff like that but there it just didn't pr- process in her head that she should um you know interact with people in a positive way and there's a lot of like little vignettes like that from my childhood are, are somewhat embarrassing. But again, they're born of a family that didn't know what it was doing and, you know, came to America on on a dime and on a hope and prayer that this is the place that, you know, would be good for everybody. And, you know, half true maybe, but um, you know, we're here now and I think we're all sort of thankful for it. My parents, um, again, you know, they've changed a lot. So they're not homophobic. They're not racist. They're not, you know, they've really come a long way, which is impressive. Um, And yeah. I, I give them some credit for that. You know, that they, they must
2: be really proud of you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, a lot of people think that they, they wouldn't be. But no, they are. And uh, why? Well, some people are like, oh, you're you're you know, when they're, you know, the same way people say, you know, uh, oh, get fucked or something. Uh, eat a dick uh, to you, perhaps. And they say that to me. Um, I'm like, so-
2: you got to give me five hours. <laughs>
1: Some people will say uh, some people will say like, oh, yeah, your parents must be embarrassed or ashamed or something. Of course, they're they're extremely proud. But um,
2: does it make you sad that your mother could see that you get hate, like wanting to protect your mom?
1: No, um, they're, you know, I mean, they're they're all grown up and they should understand the way the world works. And I think that what really freaks them out and maybe some other people is the arrest. Um, that's definitely kind of one of these things where it's like, you know, that's that's frightening, you know, and it should be.
2: What the fuck was it like at Congress?
1: Uh it was like a room of people that hated you. You knew you know, you knew they hated you. And that's sort of like frustrating, uh, because you could you could almost feel an ethereal kind of like
2: So I smile when I'm nervous. Right. I laugh when I'm nervous. Was that what was happening?
1: It was intentional uh, for sure. Like I wanted to say, fuck you, you idiot. You're total hypocrite. Like and I had so much to say about drug pricing. But my lawyer just said, don't 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 say anything. But after the fact, my lawyer, one of my lawyers pulled me aside and said, can we say that you have an involuntary emotional disease (laughs) (laughs) that you just can't control yourself? (laughs) And that we're going to make a turn around. Everyone's going to (laughs) feel bad for you. and Like Tourette's or something? Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, no, don't say that. Uh, And he was like, all right, we won't say that one. And I'm like, one, you'd be lying. And two, it's like it was was not a good excuse. And the truth was I just felt like I was being shamed and for a partial, like, incomplete understanding of a situation And it was like, oh, I could actually give you like a manual of suggestions that would be really helpful. But that's not what you're here for. You're not here to fix a problem. You're not here, you know, for anything other than to beat up on somebody. And to me, that's sort of ridiculous. And
2: they wanted justice.
1: Yeah. So it's justice to make fun of someone for half an hour or for five minutes. Like I haven't lost a dime walking into that. Haven't lost a dime walking out of it. If anything, like you help me increase my notoriety, which is exactly what I want. Like, thank you very much.
2: Well, do you think anyone in the government has ever said the words Wu-Tang before you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, that was that was uh, unexpected. Um, No, I mean, I I wanted to make more of a mockery of it if I could have. But I just hired this lawyer and I didn't want to upset him, you know, because he said was very strict about like, don't. Do anything stupid. Just Fifth and, Amendment. It. Yeah, and and I uh, I begged and pleaded with my former lawyers, but they they specifically said, you know, um, I I got this lawyer that defended Michael Jackson and defended um, all these other folks and got them not guilty verdicts when they weren't expected to get not guilty verdicts. And I think we're gonna win. And it'll be I kind of want to make it a Super Bowl type thing because, in my naive perspective, when you look at Casey Anthony. When you look at um, the guy who shot Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman. and uh, You look at OJ, like these really big cases. Typically, they get not guilty, um, even though you might think that they would. Like,
2: right? You think like there's no way, yeah? That like OJ didn't Casey do yeah, it. Like, yeah, that's just crazy.
1: You know, George Zimmerman. Like, well, are
2: you nervous, Martin?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, I have to be. Uh, what's weird though is they inflict so much emotional pain on you along the way. Not, and when I say they, I don't mean anyone. Particularly, but the 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 world and maybe yourself and all this stuff. And one guy was charged with a similar crime about a month or two ago. He killed himself the next day. Killed himself. Um,
2: similar crime to you? Yeah.
1: The Tuesday after he was arrested. Did that
2: shake you? Yeah,
1: yeah. I knew him actually. Um, so it was it was pretty fucked up. Um, he obviously had have l- a
2: family. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. And he was like you, like most people. Ninety percent of people who get charged with a crime are guilty, and they're found guilty in the court of law. Um if if this whole thing went to shit and like the greatest lawyer on the face of the earth somehow messes this case up, which he's never done, and um the facts are, you know, totally not what we think they are, which are exonerating, then like, okay, it's a year. Like or all right, there's worse things on this planet than club fed as they call it. Um I prison's not fun. And but the people that I know that have come out of prison, I'm like, So what's it like? Did you get shanked? Did you get raped? <laughs> they're like, Martin. We read the Wall Street Journal all day.
2: (laughs) You'll like start a new company in prison.
1: Yeah. no. Well, actually, yeah. Um, (laughs) What if
2: the judge was like, I will let you off, but you can never watch porn again. Uh... I'd take
1: it. Yeah. I'd take it. (laughs) Life is celibacy or whatever. They can have sex and not watch porn. Would you rather like
2: never have sex or never eat? Like you wouldn't die, though. You know, it would just be oh, the so, active so eating. So I
1: hate eating. And in fact, all right, so here's my two big... You're in-
2: very thin.
1: Yes. but Do we
2: need to have a conversation? No, no,
1: no. Uh, some people thought I was... I was worse. I was like 120.
2: Maybe that was stress, though.
1: I was like a teenager. I was like 120. It was crazy.
2: Okay, so tell me about your non-eating disorder.
1: I don't have an eating disorder, but um, my two inventions are reducing the need to eat and reducing the need to sleep. I think that if you could kill those two things, humans would have, like, the greatest existence ever.
2: But I love sleeping. Like, do you ever dream? Of course. Yeah. Don't you think that's, like, a fundamental – like, that's a fundamental part of my writing is, like, from my dreams.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think dreams are – I had a very
2: awkward dream about this interview (laughs) last week. Really? Yes. it made me – and it was so real.
1: That's why all these sex questions are –
2: No, I didn't want to say anything, (laughs) but it was kind of like that. And – it was really awkward, and I was like, wanted to cancel the interview because you did something in the dream that was so real, and I was really like mad about it.
1: Wow. Um, moving on, the uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, the uh, I think dreams are. I think what most people think they're like this, like they're all the weird things that happen in parallel that are we suppress. And I, I was trying to bring a drug called ketamine um, to the uh, market for depression. And uh, I've actually suffered from depression, Um, more anxiety than depression. But there are people. Me
2: too. Do you get panic attacks?
1: I used to. Yeah. Um, I used to. uh, But I started taking a drug and I never get panic attacks again. Um, What do you take if you don't mind me? I take a drug called Effexor. Okay. I've never told anybody. Uh, I've taken it since I was 15 or 17. I I used to have a panic attack every day. Oh, wow. Twice, three times a day. And I never have them. I literally not. I mean, typically with the medicine, you would think, okay, they'll drop your panic text by 50% or by 80%. 100%. Total cure. I
2: got to get that name from you.
1: Yeah. It just, for me, was like this perfect fit. And that's maybe why I love the pharmaceutical industry. I was this like constant spaz having these panic attacks and now I'm like oh you know I'm fine totally and people
2: cool. that don't have anxiety and panic attacks don't really understand like when yeah. I try to explain it to them I'm like no you're witnessing your own death it's a
1: heart attack yeah it's like, like you're literally dying <laughs> yeah. like... it's, it's, it's the most strange and horrific thing but it's total. nobody thinks it's that bad and yeah. it's, it's your life is flashing before your eyes I mean I would take the subway and I have to sit down on a crowded subway and just be like I'll be okay <laughs> I just need, to, just need to sit down where am I like, you know, and it's like I got
2: I, my first panic attack on the subway, and I when I was living here when I was twenty, and I went to the psych ward in at Columbia. yeah, and the doctor was like, I didn't, t- I didn't, well, I didn't tell him I'd been like living on diet pills and beer, but I. he was like, Do you see that chair? Is that a <laughs> chair talking to you? And you know, as somebody with anxiety, you're like, Wait a minute, is it? I don't know. Like, what's the reality? You know what I mean? So it just, is, it can totally feed on itself. Yeah, and
1: imagine trying to have a high performance job or something. You can't. Yeah. And, you know, so I'm lucky, I'm very lucky. And so that was another brush with pharma where, yeah, you know, it's fantastic on my side effects. It's just, I take one pill once a day and I'm totally cured.
2: Just looking forward. I mean, what the fuck do you I like? Do you do five year plan? Do you do lists? Like what? No. What do you want to do? Do you want to stay in New York? You want to stay in pharma? Um,
1: I don't know. So like, I don't. You
2: really don't want to know about the dream I had about you. Let me just tell you this one part. So basically, so we were having sex Mm -hmm. and you were about to come. Yep. And and I was like loving it like i was like oh my god like i see him for who he really is (laughs) don't leave and then you were about to come and you go wait first i want you to sign this contract that says if you have if you have my baby you have to get an abortion wow
1: Um, that's horrible so um huh
2: what do you have to say for yourself
1: (laughs) i'm sorry uh
2: what do you think that was about
1: oh i mean that's easy um i think the pregnant thing is sort of like like this idea of like, will this go sex, I mean, maybe positive, right? Yeah. Like, will this go well, will this not go well, will we like each other? And I I, I don't think I've ever had like a human interaction where someone stood up and said, That is a f- horrible person, and I hate him. Like right. because I just like especially with the expectation set of like Oh, here's the worst person ever. This guy's
2: going to fuck me over. He's going to (laughs) make me kill my baby. Somehow
1: I'm going to take your money as (laughs) we're leaving here. No, like it's – the expectations are horrible and they're – maybe an abortion was a bad thing in this dream. And like, yeah, the expectation is here's the worst person in the world. You're about to meet with him. It's probably going to devolve into this terrible shitstorm. And 99 times out of 100, it doesn't. It's just like, hey, it's almost – person that is a person like me and not the world's worst person and like I, I would I
2: just feel like enough people hate you. And whether or not you think that's real when I've been talking to people, like it feels real. Is that right? Yeah. I can feel the hate and it's it's palpable to me. But why don't they come up to me? Because I walk around
1: Manhattan. Maybe it's easier to say you like someone than it is to say you hate them, right? Yeah.
2: I don't know. But you just keep doing you. I don't need to tell you how to do you. Right after the interview ended, I was feeling great. Like, I had actually got to know Martin, and I didn't even hate him. Like, maybe his version of the story isn't total bullshit. Maybe the truth really is relative. But then, I post a picture of Martin and me smiling and laughing together, and the hate starts pouring in. Kick him in the nuts! I can't believe you got that close to that guy and didn't put a fork in his eye. Fuck everything about that guy. Did you ask him about the AIDS drug he made financially unobtainable to thousands of people living with HIV? Desperate for some reassurance, I head to the Upper West Side to consult the wisest person I know. But Grandma, when he's talking to me about his mother not hugging him, and not that he was playing a victim, but... He was playing the victim, of course he was. I just, I didn't think I was, like, gullible, but now I just feel a little bit like... I got, maybe I got duped or something.
1: Could be. But of course he justifies his position. The early life, his father and mother were not good to him. You know, that, that's very superficial to me.
2: That doesn't justify being
1: a schmuck. Of course
2: not. More than a schmuck. But Grandma, if you would have met him and you would have talked to him...
1: Like you did, you,
2: you would have been taken. So... I had a conversation with the most hated man in America, and the most shocking thing I got him to admit was that he doesn't like to brush his teeth. When it came to the hard questions, he deflected, just like he's done in every other interview. Martin was so good at controlling the conversation that he actually made me forget he'd done something terrible. Now everything just seems so unresolved and underwhelming, like our podcast has blue balls. I sent a rough cut of the interview to my producer, Paul, and he called me back right away. Which is never a good sign,
1: you were so um friendly and and funny and chummy with him that I felt like it was letting him off and not challenging him to take responsibility for what he's done. You know. Mm-hmm. I wanted you to hold his feet to the fire a little bit more.
0: I don't think I was fully honest about how scared I was yeah. how scared I am of him and what he represents and what I do when I'm scared is I make sex jokes. Yeah. You know, I feel like super unprofessional and like I wasn't a badass.
2: This whole experience triggers the voice in my head that tells me I'm not good enough, that I didn't get an A, that I'm a fraud. I'm filled with so much regret, so much shame because I didn't crack Shkreli. But our conversation forced me to confront some hard truths about myself. I wanted Martin to feel comfortable and safe. And yeah, like me. So I didn't push it. I let him avoid the truth. I did a lot of fake laughing. I guess my need to be loved sometimes trumps my ability to be real. Three schmucks later, and I can honestly say that confronting these horrible people made me see my own reflection. And sometimes, it's dirty. But owning my whole self, nasty bits and all, makes me want to keep looking. And if that means I'm a schmuck too, so be it. So. Where in the world do we go from here? We wanted to get maybe a rapist. I don't know a rapist. (laughs) Come on, grandma, you're no help. I'm I'm the wrong generation. (laughs) Well, what do you think, what about if I could get a neo-Nazi? What if I could get a Nazi? Well, to me, that would be something I would listen to. This is Schmucks, and I'm your host, Jesse Kahnweiler. Schmucks was written and produced by me and Alyssa Dudley. It was edited and mixed by Jonathan Hirsch. A special thanks to Paul Young and Jenny Rattleit. If you like this episode, you can go listen to the whole show at Stitcher Premium slash Schmucks. I also tracked down Steve Renazizi, the comedian who lied about being in a tower on 9-11, and model slash YouTuber Nicole Arbor, who thinks fat shaming just isn't a thing. Use the code word schmucks to get a free month of Stitcher Premium, and you can listen to other awesome shows like Fruit, a scripted series by Issa Rae, and get bonus episodes of Guys We Fucked. After you're done listening to my show, of course. That's all at stitcherpremium slash schmucks. Thanks for listening.
1: Dale y'all This is Tony Rodriguez This is Carlos Santos
0: This is Riza Licea
1: And this is Oscar Montoya When our powers combine we are Spanish, Spanish Aqui Presents
0: We have a brand new podcast here on Earwolf Bringing you the best of the best of lo mejor of the Latinx comedy. Join us every Tuesday as we chat about what's going on in our lives, Latinx culture, and que lo que? Lo que no está picando. Lo que te pica! Don't worry, we'll tell you what that means if you listen. We'll also be joined by a new guest every single week. We'll get to know a little bit more about their lives.
1: Every single week. Uh-huh. And then we'll make them sit back and watch us improvise their lives right back to them.
0: Improvisation. <laughs> Spanish Aki Presents premieres July 16th. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. O donde sea. Spanish Aki Presents. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And... Producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
1: The legends are true! Overwhelming power! The
0: sauce of destiny! Yes!